This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome to this hour of the program. It is Afternoons on News Talk 770. Rob Breckenridge with you. Our telephone number again, 403-974-TALK. That's 974-8255. Call us or text us. Same number and we'll have more time for your calls and your texts coming up. But uh, look, obviously, as I said before, the top of the hour, we kind of been uh, dancing around the issue of the carbon tax. It was a rally over the weekend, uh, ostensibly to protest the Alberta's carbon tax, which takes effect uh, in January. Uh, a rally that was overshadowed by some other things. But I want to spend some time here talking about the issue of the carbon tax, where Canada's going, and where other countries have been. So Australia is an interesting case in point. So the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, they've brought to Canada, Chris Berg is a senior fellow with the Institute of Public Affairs in Australia, uh, to share Australia's experience uh, with the Canadian audience. Now, he's going to be speaking at uh, 5 o'clock today at the Petroleum Club. I think they got some other events planned, more taxpayer.com. But joining us in studio is the aforementioned Chris Berg. Chris, welcome to Canada, I guess I'll say. <laughs> uh, welcome to, to our studios here. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So let's uh, get you to tell the story then, because Australia had a carbon tax at one point and no longer does, correct? Yeah. So we the, the bare bones are basically we introduced a carbon tax in 2012 and we got rid of a carbon tax in 2014. Um, the carbon tax debate has been probably the most um, uh, the the most substantial, um, most fraught political debate in Australia's history. Certainly since Federation in 1901, we've lost um, uh, at least four leaders of political parties over the carbon tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and and fundamentally, people understood ultimately that um, uh, raising costs on uh, and raising living, uh, lowering living standards to raise costs on energy is not going to do anything for the global climate. Okay. What was the, the rate of the carbon tax when it was brought in? So the carbon tax was actually an emissions trading scheme or a, a cap and trade scheme. I call it a carbon tax because it you know, that's how it, how it works. Um, it was $23 a tonne, which we thought was enormous, but as I understand is, is sort of middling for Canada standards. Now, just in terms of, and so we understand the political dynamics, was it one party that they brought it in, another party that got rid of it, or did the same party have a rethink on it? Sure. So um, originally both parties supported the carbon tax. Um, that was a huge issue, um, and uh, the current leader of the Conservative Party um, lost his job because he supported the carbon tax. It was introduced by the Labor Party, um, and it was eliminated by the subsequent government who was a Liberal Party government, a Conservative government. In okay. And so was it that it had failed or failed to do what people expected it to do? Or was it just that it was just so incredibly unpopular? So it was a bit of both. It, it failed in uh, at least two ways. It failed um, uh, it, it, it failed to get the, um, uh, to reduce the emissions that people said that it would. Um, now it was going to be increased over time. But more fundamentally, it failed in what it was really setting out to do. It was supposed to lead the world. It was supposed to convince the big economies like the United States and China that they should introduce their own carbon reduction measures. I think once Australians understood that that wasn't happening, that even though we'd introduced our own substantial carbon tax, there's no way that China and the US were going to get on board. Um, it really undermined the, the faith in the policy and it made people wonder, why are we doing this to ourselves if um, the rest of the world isn't doing it as well? Or certainly if those big economies, the ones that really make a difference are not doing it. So Australia only contributes about 1.1% of global carbon or greenhouse gas emissions. The idea that we would be able to do anything to, to man-made 
um, climate change is, is obvious nonsense, and I think people eventually understood it to be nonsense. Okay, but then is that to say that countries like Australia and Canada shouldn't do anything then? Because I think the same argument would apply to any kind of policy that has to do with, with emissions. Well, not, not in this case. So I think that there are things that we should be doing. We should be focusing on adapting to climate change. We should be focusing on making sure our countries are in the best situation possible if there is long-term environmental change. Um, and, and in my mind, that would be things like reducing property taxes so people could move, um, uh, move to, to um, non-coastal areas, um, allowing more development in, in new areas that might be um, more, more prospective under a, um, uh, under a different situation. But the idea that we would be trying to mitigate with taxes um, in these small economies, it isn't going to do anything in the absence of a global agreement or in the absence of agreement from the United States and China is just fundamentally absurd. It's a moral claim, not a policy claim. Okay, but then if we look at the the merits of carbon pricing or whether there are merits, is that to say that if the US and China were to price carbon, we could follow suit and it would be effective then? I think if there was a global agreement on climate change reduction that was serious, um, uh, I think a country like Canada and a country like Australia should be part of the global community. But by going ahead with a carbon tax now, we are not being part of the global community. We are outliers and we are actively harming ourselves for a diplomatic strategy that has so far been proven not to be successful. What do you make of, of what's happening in Canada? Because part of it, it does seem to be a diplomatic strategy, not amongst other countries, but within this country. We've got a provincial government in Alberta that's saying we need to put a carbon tax in place so we can convince the federal government to go to bat for pipelines. Yeah, look, I, I, uh, I, I can't speak too much on the Canadian example, but I think it's very interesting to see the way your levels of government are trying to interact on this and the way it's a little bit of a prid quo pro quo relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's just raw politics. Sure. Obviously, but it doesn't speak to the um, uh, to the necessity of the original policy. It doesn't speak to the necessity of the carbon tax. And when you introduce policies like that, and in those sorts of contexts, you're very unlikely to get the most effective policy you can. If if um, if one government has to bribe the other government to do something, are you really getting what's in the best interests of Canadians, or are you just getting short term political fixes? Well, but I mean, sometimes short term fixes are helpful. And, and, and we're a country that's trying to, to export oil, uh, trying to improve our image as an oil producing country. And I mean, part of the argument is that maybe it's an easier sell job if we can say, look, we've got a carbon tax. Well, that might be very well um, the case. And I really can't speak on behalf of that, but, but that's a marketing problem. Um, it doesn't reflect good public policy. Good public policy is good regardless of whether it's popular or not. Okay, let's circle back around to what you were talking about, the concern in Australia uh, of the impact it has on taxpayers. So what what were people noticing? What was the experience in Australia? Sure. So the um, uh, each year for the two years that it was in, the carbon tax cost the Australian economy about $8 billion. About six of that, or a bit over six, was um, taken directly into tax and the rest was regulatory costs. People did notice it in their power bills. Um, they noticed it in their electricity costs. Um, if you include other um, uh, carbon reduction measures, of which there are obviously a few, um, it raised electricity prices for about 25%. Now, the downstream consequences, of course, have an effect across the economy. So if a, a, it, not just households, but if small businesses are paying 25% extra electricity, that's going to have an effect on the price of goods, the price of services. Um, over time, 
and um, happily us wasn't given a chance to, um, uh, to to survive over time. Over time, that would have really substantial impacts on living standards. People did notice it, but they were also very concerned about what happens when the government, as it promised to do, would raise the carbon price over time. Well, and I wonder if there was any appetite in Australia, because there doesn't seem to be an appetite in Canada to, to make it a revenue-neutral carbon tax to, to prove to people that it's not about taking more from you, it's about addressing emissions. So we'll bring in a carbon tax and we'll lower other taxes to offset that. Was that part of the debate in Australia? Well, it was described to us as revenue neutral. Um, but the idea behind revenue neutrality in the Australian government's perspective was, well, they're going to spend all the money that they raise. Now, that's not revenue neutral. No. That's just promising to to churn money back, to spend money on on uh, on you know carbon investment and all that sort of thing, and to hand over money in compensation and so forth. Um, right. So when you hear revenue neutrality, you ha- you have to be a little bit sceptical that the um, government is actually going to be revenue neutral. They're going to see a giant pot of funds and they're going to want to spend it. That's, right. Well, that's how I mean, yeah, well, you're describing what's happening here. That's exactly how our, our premier has described it. I mean, therefore, any tax is revenue neutral. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we could bring in a 20% sales tax as long as the government spends all the money. I guess it's revenue neutral. In a funny Somehow. way, isn't that worse? Like they say, no, don't, don't <laughs> yes. worry. We're not going to pay down the debt. We're just going to spend all this new money. Like right. that's substantially worse in my mind. So would it change the equation if it truly were revenue neutral? Um, I have heard these arguments, and I, I haven't seen a revenue neutral carbon tax in some uh, in in that sense. Um, and I haven't, and it certainly wasn't proposed in Australia. I don't think it would make it a good tax, though. Um, uh, taxing energy specifically, as opposed to taxing all consumption or taxing all land, doesn't make it a more efficient tax. It would be certainly more desirable than the alternative. Um, uh, but I wouldn't embrace it as the sort of most economically rational um, taxation strategy. Should we? Well, what are we comparing it to? I mean, we can compare putting in a carbon tax to not having a carbon tax, but how does the price on carbon compare to regulations? Because regulations have costs as well. Yes, they do. Um, Unfortunately, I can speak to the Australian experience that we got both. So it's um it's all well and good for governments to turn around and say, I'm choosing the most rational market mechanism. I'm looking at a carbon price or an emissions trading scheme, and it's look at the theoretical purity of it. But in Australia, we got the carbon price, as well as renewable energy targets, as well as regulations about um, energy efficiency standards, as well as um, massive subsidies to renewable energy. We never get these pure models. So I'm an economist and I'm sympathetic to to models of market purity that um, a lot of economists will propose, but that's not what politics gives you. Politics gives you a mess, regulations, taxation. All of this is just to, to push out a political message rather than um, get the best public policy. That's why I'm sceptical. Okay. Well, and, and I understand that scepticism. It sounds then that, that the answer is because politicians are going to make a mess of things that we, we opt to do nothing. Yeah, you should have a default scepticism about these things because they have to go through the legislative process. They have to go through um, uh, political incentives. They have to buy off various interest groups and so forth. So it's all well and good to dream up a perfect taxation system, and a lot of people have done so. But that's not what you get out of the political system, and and we will never get it. And we have to, when we talk about these issues, we have to remember we live in a democracy. Interest groups have to be bought off. Um, You're never going to get that pure model. So am I being naive then? Because I would take it. I would take that. If we're going to put a price on carbon, I would say, okay, we'll put a price on carbon, we'll lower other taxes, we'll scrap the regulations, we'll scrap the emissions caps, 
that it'll just be the price on carbon offset by tax cuts. I'll sign up for that, but is that is it naive to think that that would ever happen? Look, I, I would sign up for that if that was probably what was proposed as well. I think it would probably be better than the status quo, which is massive energy subsidies, massive regulation and, and so forth. I just don't think that we'd ever get it, and I wouldn't encourage a government to try to seek it because I don't think that's what would come out the other end. Well, but should supporters of, of market-based economies, market-based policies push for that? Because otherwise, aren't we seeding the entire debate? No, I think that what we should be pushing for is adaptation mechanisms. I think we should be... um, uh, You don't have to have an opinion on climate science to recognise that it's important for economists to be able to adapt to changes in the environment and changes... Um, economic changes, global changes. You need to be in a position to do that. I think free marketeers, um, supporters of market-based mechanisms and markets should be focusing on what can we do to make sure Canada and Australia and other countries are most able to deal with any change that comes through. So there are two low-lying countries people talk about. Um, The Netherlands and and Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. Bangladesh is at risk um, from uh, global warming, if if, it, if the seas rise, the Netherlands is not at risk because the Netherlands is rich, it has stable institutions, um, and it can deal with those things, but Bangladesh can't. We need to be Netherlands, not Bangladesh. Well, you're right to point out that we're going to get stuck with both, uh, the cost of the policies and the inevitable cost associated with, with whatever climate change comes our way. Uh, does that suggest, I mean, should if we're going to have a carbon tax, should that revenue go towards those kinds of measures? I'm not convinced it should. Um, I think that's going to end up spending um, uh, on boondoggles rather than doing what you need. I actually don't think what we need in the adaptation area is more spending. I think we need regulatory change. I think we need to be lowering property taxes so that people can buy um, houses in different areas. I think we need to be um, uh, lowering constraints on development so that new areas that might be now available can be can be developed. I think that's what we should be talking about. Um, I don't think the adaptation challenge is a is a spending challenge. I don't think we need to be pouring more money into this issue. I think we just need to be smarter. All right. So, what what has Australia replaced its carbon tax with? What, what's the the status quo now? So, at the moment, uh, the the government that repealed the carbon tax introduced a a raft of regulatory and spending measures. Now, um, those are bad, and I'm I'm quite opposed to them. I think in uh, on net, they're actually better than what they. Um, what they replace, the carbon tax. Um, they're less expensive and they'd be more easy to repeal in the future if it was decided that weren't necessary. But um, we have introduced new regulations. We are trying to buy out um, coal-fired power stations. Um, we are trying to do all sorts of things. It's not very effective. It doesn't. It certainly doesn't do anything to the global climate. Um, but, but, but we shouldn't uh, pretend that just because we got rid of the carbon tax, um, it's not an issue anymore. Right. And, and well, and maybe that's part of the lesson here, that even if governments back down on a carbon tax, the, the broader fight continues. But what, what do you hope Canadians get from, from hearing you this well, week? I, I hope that this trip, and I'm speaking um, uh, to people across the country, I hope that this trip gives people an idea of um, uh, once you introduce these laws, they can be repealed. Um, and they can be repealed with good, solid economic analysis. They can be repealed by, um, uh, by proper leadership particularly from conservative parties. Um, uh, We don't have to have economy damaging, living standards damaging policies. Once you pass a tax, it doesn't mean it's it's permanent. I think there's reason for optimism um, uh, amongst people who are friends of the free market and and conservatives uh, across the country because you can get rid of these harmful, damaging taxes. All right. Well, people can find out more about uh, the speaking tour, which includes uh, speech today, 5 o'clock at the Petroleum Club, more taxpayer.com. And also people are interested. They can find 
uh, you online, the uh, Institute of Public Affairs Australia, ipa.org.au. Did I get that right? Yes, absolutely. All right, fantastic. <laughs> Chris, thanks so much for coming in here today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And enjoy your time in, uh, in Chile, frigid Canada. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again. That's Chris Berg, Senior Fellow with the Institute of Public Affairs. Uh, here from Australia. We'll take a break and we'll come back. Your thoughts, where we stand in the carbon tax debate, 403-974-TALK. It's Afternoons on News Talk 770. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.